This project was produced by Planet FM with support from New Zealand On Air. The series features 15 candid conversations with people from migrant and former refugee backgrounds, sharing their stories, their lived experience, their own perspectives and covering some sensitive topics. I'm Melina from Storio, and you're listening to Pass the Mic. Due to the global pandemic, we've recorded these conversations from the comfort of our homes. This is episode six. In this episode, I'm talking to Nilofa Faisal, who's a recent migrant to New Zealand, originally from India. Hi, Nilofa. It's so wonderful, actually, to um, be here. Like I said, it feels so much like being a part of the community when you can actually talk about things and, you know, you know that you can have these conversations with people. That's just, yeah, it just means a lot, I think. Tell me a little bit about Nilofa growing up. Like, what were you like? Where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? Okay. Um, well, okay. So I'm from India. So I'm basically, I was born there. I, um, I did my schooling there. I worked there for a while. I'm very, very introverted as a person. So I always, you know, was that kind of a quiet person, but also very proper, trying to make sure everyone's happy with the way I am, not, not you know, stepping on anyone's feet sort of thing. Back in India, I did my majors in, in psychology and English literature. And um, I did my Montessori training as well. So I'm always looking at myself and kind of seeing, oh, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And how am I as a person and things like that. But I think um, learning psychology kind of helped me make sense of it. And what was that like after? So you did, um, so you finished the degree. Did you, did you do any work in those fields in India? Well, I wanted to do my master's. I wanted to do my master's in counseling. And that's what I was very keen on. But again, I think uh, culturally, we we normally don't tend to give that much of importance to, you know, uh, when it comes to family and marriage. And uh, on the other side, you have uh, your education. Yes, up to a certain extent, yes. But if you want to really go forward and pursue it, it's a bit more difficult. I, I understand where this is coming from as well, culturally. So I don't want to push it. Like I said, I'm you know, just wanting to be proper and not, not, you know, ruffle any feathers sort of thing. And instead I started working. So I did my Montessori training at that point And I said, okay, because I do like the idea of teaching and that was something I've always been passionate about. But at the same time, um, I think with the regular education system that we normally have. So putting everyone in a box and just expecting everyone to perform the same way, have the same interests, be the, exactly the same, you know, copy of each other's, it didn't make sense for me. And that's where I felt like Montessori made so much sense because that's a kind of education system where you let each child decide their pace you let them decide their interests and you basically create that environment for them to learn. I remember once my Arabic teacher actually once um, said this, that, you know, it's, he wouldn't answer, he wouldn't explain certain things to us unless we posed a question on it. Right. So he'd say, okay, you know, when you ask the question, that's when you're ready to give, that's when you're ready to accept the answer. And I think Montessori kind of plays into that where, okay, you you kind of, you're there as a teacher and you sense, you know, when the children are ready, when that particular child actually, not even, 
you know, as a group, but that particular child is ready for that particular lesson. You you worked with um, in Montessori system, and you said you've you've taught in other countries. Did you uh, so did you get married and then go traveling? Like, what was that? What was the traveling life? How did that? start well okay so what happened was i started working and i worked about a year in india after my must after my um you know bachelor's and that's when i met my husband so we met through mutual family and you know it was yeah so it just clicked we met and uh <laughs> we barely spoke i think uh slightly less than an hour and by the end of the hour we were both pretty sure that you know we want to spend the rest of our lives together so that was I mean even now we think back and we're like oh my god that just that was I, I don't know if it was stupid or if it was <laughs> impulsive or what but that's just how it happened so we met and we got married uh, actually legally I think um, we got married within a month and at the time he was living in Saudi Arabia so uh, so we I mean I moved there with him and I actually remember asking him, you know, um, well, what if I had taken up, you know, uh, my master's and I was doing my master's when we met and we wanted to get married? Would you have waited until I finished it so I could have finished my master's and then, you know, we could have uh, gotten married? And he was like, yeah, of course I would have. Why, why would I not? <laughs> and then I, and that, just, that just felt good. I think I, I, I was, oh, OK, you know, God, I've, I've got the right man, you know. So Medina in Saudi Arabia, that's where we started learning Arabic. And it was supposed to be like, uh, oh, we're going to do this for two, three months and, you know, see, you know, because I mean, the Quran, uh, the holy book for the Muslims is in Arabic. So we thought, okay, this is our opportunity to learn the language. So we understand because we believe it is the word of God, right? So if we believe that, if we genuinely believe that we should try and understand what he's trying to say you know so I think we did it for like one or two months and we were so blown away by the language there's so much depth to the language there's it's nothing like I've learned before and for me I think for both of us at that point it was just like oh my god we have to do this more we have to uh, spend more time with the language and understand it as a science you know the language itself and that kind of uh, took us to Egypt so we kind of took a break from there and that's why we went to Egypt and we lived there for three or four months where we were classmates. So we studied at an institute and we were both uh, learning Arabic full time. <laughs> and that for me was, uh, you know, it was huge because especially, like I said, like, you know, in India, it's like, I wouldn't say again, I don't want to generalize, which is because it's not true in everyone's case. But a lot of times it does happen that, you know, it's like, oh, you know what? your family, your, your, uh, you know, your family, your husband, your children, all of these things, they are your priority. And yes, it's very much true that, you know, your family is a priority, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a choice, right? Your career or your education and your family, they need not be a choice you have to make, or I can only have one of the two, you know, why? I, I mean, I think it's, my husband has been so supportive. And, you know, for us to be actually, you know, go to, class every day in the morning at you know nine o'clock and you know sit there up to like three or four and like you know run home for lunch and get back and it was it's just been I think a great experience just not just from the language perspective but also from a personal uh, point of view and from there what happened was uh, well we heard about this place called Mauritania which is uh, one of the African country um, what's what's really unique about the place is that they have these villages 
which are in the middle of the desert, right? So, and even like a few years ago, they didn't have water or electricity or any of that in the village. So it's really hard desert life. And in these villages, they would have teachers who have, you know, um, immense knowledge, basically. And you go there as students, you learn with them, and you kind of, you know, the entire village is built on that system of a teacher. So the, the teacher is the head of the village, basically. And you learn with the teacher. They're not using the internet. They're not, you know, um, they don't have Airbnbs or whatever. So it's, it, you just kind of have to go in there and kind of knock on the door and be like, oh, we're here. We, we've come all the way from, you know, somewhere else. And this is what we want to do. And, you know, we kind of um, had that. I, I really don't think, you know, this is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll survive. I don't think we'll survive here, you know, because it's so harsh. It's in the middle of the desert. And, you know, I don't know the, I, I, the no lights, no, you know, no proper water. And there's like, we, we don't even know if we have a place and how's this going to happen. And then he said, okay, you know what, let's just give it a week. So we'll just see in a week how we feel about it. And we'll just review it in a week, you know. If we feel after a week, you know what, this is not for us. It's fine, you know, we've got nothing to lose. We're just going to pack our bags and go back. But we stayed there for a week. And within the week, I absolutely fell in love with the place, the people. It was so amazing. First of all, I love like how many different journeys and countries like, you know, India, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Mauritania. Yeah. What was that like in terms of, you know, um, I guess a big part of this podcast to talk about the culture, the ethnic identity and all this stuff. And actually, even before we talk about New Zealand, I would love to ask you for you, like being in all those different countries, like what was that like in terms of culture and maybe religious culture or ethnic culture? Was it quite different, quite similar to where you grew up? How did you navigate those? Yeah. How was that experience, I guess? Actually, I think when you go to um, when you go to a country at first, the things that you'd normally see are, oh, you know, they're so different from us or they eat different food and, you know, their clothes look different and this is different and that is different. But actually, even within a few weeks, I think, or sometimes maybe a few months, you kind of start to see the people behind it. You know what? What's beyond the labels, the you know the cultural, you know differences and things like that. And it's just when you get to know the people be, beyond that, I think you just realize that you know what we're all the same. You know, it's as much as we have our differences at at the core of it, we're still just human, right? Every place I felt like you know I made these connections, met these amazing people, and you know I, I still keep in touch with them. And you know, like to be honest, uh, you know this in the background of me as a Muslim, right? As a Muslim, it's just that many times you don't feel home in a lot of places because of, especially I think with the hijab that is, you know, the head covering that I wear, it's just people, I think, find it hard. I, again, I wouldn't say, I, I would be the last person to generalize in this regard as well, but it just it's just that people find it difficult to see beyond the hijab sometimes. And that's why it's because, I mean, for you to feel home in a place, you need to feel like you belong. You need to feel like you are valued or appreciated or, you know, and that's that's very crucial. Right. And I think as a Muslim, many times it happens that it's hard to feel home. I don't know. Sometimes it's on one side you have that where people are fighting the hijab or ban the hijab. And, you know, I mean, it's just a piece of cloth. You know, what what harm can it do to anyone? But. Well, apparently it does. So on one side you have that and then you have on the other side people just thinking that, oh, you know, she's with a hijab, so she probably needs to be, you know, saved from the oppression, quote unquote. So I think 
dealing with that has always been a challenge because it's i think you just don't want to be saved it's just like i don't need anyone to save me i'm happy the way i am perfectly happy <laughs> just let us be you know that's it so coming to new zealand which is out of all countries is probably the most western influenced I know there's some Western influences in some of the countries that you mentioned, but like the very Western is New Zealand. What has that been like in terms of the, well, first of all, how did you, why did you end up coming to New Zealand? And then also how, yeah, what was that experience of your identity as a person of color, but also Muslim wearing a hijab? How does, how has that like been affected, changed? I don't know. Uh, well, first of all, we came to New Zealand, we came here from Morocco. So before New Zealand, we've been living in Morocco for about uh, two, two and a half years. And I think from there, we decided to move here. And that too, you know, in the middle of the whole pandemic and all of that happening, I think in that background, somehow we, we got here uh, to New Zealand. And for me, I think like at the airport, when we first came, I had someone, I don't know who it was, but just someone at uh, the counter who saw me and said, oh, salam, like, you know, assalamu alaikum. That's that's a that's a Muslim greeting, right? And for me, that was like, I couldn't believe it. I, I honestly couldn't because we're not always used to that. Because you know that much of welcoming is not you don't get that you know as a, as a person of color. And I'm very visibly Muslim, so it's it's very much part of my identity, and it's a part I'm really proud of. But at the same time, I know that there's a lot of you know, um, nonsense you'd have to deal with. I remember I had this conversation with a friend recently and she said, and, and she's, okay, so, so she's really highly educated and she's she had her education here in New Zealand as well. And she wears a hijab and, the, I mean, the head, head covering. So what she said was that, you know, it's like, especially with the hijab, it's as if you are dumb until you prove otherwise. So the default is they just think that, you know, you are stupid or, you know, you don't, you're not as smart as everyone else just because you're wearing, you know, a scarf over your head. For me, as well, when I think of hijab, I find it very empowering because I look at it as, oh, okay, you know what, I don't want you to be focusing on how I look physically on my appearance and I want you to be looking at the person I am beyond that my thoughts my feelings um, you know my knowledge all of those things so that's what I want everyone's focus on and not so much on my face or the way I look and that's the point of the hijab like that's that's what it means to me and that's why I cherish it but at the same time you have to constantly deal with this you know <laughs> prejudice you feel kind of helpless in a way because there's not much you can do what, what, what do you do you know you can't just keep going around talking to each and every person you know that oh you know what this is what the hijab means it's my faith and this is why I wear it and this is what it means I would think it would be common courtesy right you see someone no matter how they're dressed or what they're wearing or you respect them for who they are as a person and not so much of the way they look or they, the way they don't look yeah 100% and it's interesting to hear again like again coming from a country that is pre like for me predominantly Muslim I'm not religious myself Kazakhstan is I don't know what the actual percentages are but it's like, I think majority maybe are Muslim. And then we have uh, Orthodox Christian uh, because we were, you know, with Russia together. So we don't have many people wearing head coverings or hijabs back home. I can see it's interesting to, to talk to someone who is like, you know, you're saying now, right? Like the whole idea for me was to not 
for you not to see my look. And now the only thing you're noticing is my look, is my hijab. Are there any other particular parts of your identity or particular parts that you are thinking about or create you as a person? And I'm thinking, I've read one of your posts on Instagram about, you know, being a woman and being a Muslim woman. And what does it mean around even the whole oppression, right? Because being a Muslim man and Muslim woman is still, there's different perceptions of how people perceive whether it's in the country like Kazakhstan or whether it's in New Zealand, what is it like or what are, the, what are your particular thoughts around the differences of being a Muslim man, Muslim woman and what it carries in Western society? There's one thing in terms of what people perceive as, you know, oh, okay, this is a Muslim woman and this is a Muslim man and these are certain things that a Muslim can afford to do and these are things that a Muslim woman can afford to do. And sometimes I think for me... Um, Growing up, especially, I think, but even now, actually, it just it just makes me so emotional sometimes thinking about it that um, like the moral compass itself. So basically, okay, you have a religion, so you believe in a religion. Naturally, there are certain things that that is acceptable, certain things that are not, you know, I mean, that's how, you know, any kind of belief system works. Right. So a lot of times I think what happens is they don't people don't realize that they t- end up you know um uh, putting women on a much higher pedestal women usually tend to um be in situations where they cannot afford to make mistakes the thing is this is one side in terms of how the society works the other side of it is that that's not how the religion itself works right so we believe that god does not judge you know differently like oh he's a man so you know what it's okay you know he can he can slip and you know he can make mistakes and oh no she's a woman so you know what she she can't afford to do that that's not how you know uh, that's not what we believe in that's not our religion and i think you know islam talks a lot about forgiveness you know it talks a lot about that's that's the nature of human to make mistakes to slip and then to kind of get back up the word um for human in arabic is insan so insan comes from the word nasa which is to forget so men are i mean people humans are forgetful so we forget we mess up we get back on track and that's just how it's it's a cycle right we believe that god actually um acknowledges that humanness but i think society does not acknowledge it as much especially when it comes to women so that human factor i think a lot of times oh i mean even i think with you know um with you know balancing work and education and family and all of that as well you know the whole superwoman thing like it's just no it's not done you know you can't just call a woman a superwoman and then just expect her to you know just handle and take care of everything it doesn't work like that no we are not superwomen no we are very much human and that's why we need you know that kind of support from home okay so if i'm working outside you know i need support from home as well to kind of you know be able to balance and nourish and you know do both so thank god you know i have my husband who is that way as well so we share our responsibilities at home so that we can both grow together you know so we're doing stuff at home together and we're both working and i think yeah like just if i can add one more thing on that is um that's specifically i think being in a western more western uh, well western country i think with the hijab a lot of times i think i can sense it the thing is i, I i'm very perceptive that way I, I sense certain vibes energies 
you know, and I'm very observant of these things. So many times when I go out, even if I am not, people are not looking at me weird, I notice people are looking at my husband weird because I can almost see them thinking, oh, he's oppressing her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and what they don't know is that I have been wearing hijab years before I've met him, right? I always feel bad for him because he has nothing to do with my choice of hijab, but people are looking at him weird and thinking, you know, he's like the some, you know, <laughs> crazy guy who's you know put this thing on my head (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting yeah you're right you're right and there are so many layers to um how in society women you know how what you're saying like distinguishing between religion and society and saying that the beliefs versus the implementation yeah interpretation yeah yeah and it's very similar in all religions right like the uh, or any institution for that matter right the belief itself kind of sometimes gets like put aside like oh yeah, yeah yeah and they build this whole societal structures on it that actually have nothing to do with the belief there's so much that people interpret and you know misinterpret and you know kind of add things to the religion and you know it's just it's sad because for people uh, you know who are gen- genuinely believing in something to see it so misconstrued in the society it's just very um disappointing because it has got nothing to do with what you believe in or what you stand for. And there are people making interpretations who have, you know, n- not, not, not even, you know, looked into what the belief actually is and somehow are qualified enough to talk about it, you know. Lofa, how do you feel about, like, being in New Zealand for a year? So you're quite a recent migrant. How does that, like, in terms of, um, sense of belonging or I'm home or whatever that means to you when do you what things make you feel like you belong or maybe places or people or situations that have recently in the last year maybe has yeah made you feel a little bit homely I, I have no affiliation towards a particular piece of land like okay this land is what makes me feel home it's not so much about the land but the people that are on that land so whether it's my family and my you know community and my friends back home or even here I think just making those connections with people getting to know people and and like I said I mean I'm very much an introvert but at the same time I'm also extremely um, how do I put it I, I really crave for that human connection and I think for me here being a part of I think with my work with New Zealand Muslim Association especially I I've had the chance to get to know a lot of people to talk to people and to actually run projects or you know um, workshops or events or whatever you know something like that which is which makes me feel like okay I'm doing something productive I'm contributing something anything no matter how small or big or you know to the society so this when I feel like I'm able to contribute to the society I think that's where I feel like I belong the organization itself, New Zealand Muslim Association. So we've got five mosques and five community centers within uh, within the organization. For example, currently one of the things we're doing is trying to provide food support for um, people, you know, who are in isolation and who need um, food and are not able to go out and get it. And especially, I think, as Muslims, you need the food to be halal. So. There's, there is a dietary requirement there so we're trying to make sure we're meeting that and you know providing food we, we've also done things like you know digital inclusion programs for senior citizens so it's basically you know making sure that they're safe online and especially now 
because you're not able to meet people in person as much this is the opportunity to make sure that they can connect online one of the things that i have person- personally been really really excited about is um we're trying to put together a project in the you know the social community needs sort of that area so we're looking at mental health um services we're looking at uh, you know providing all kinds of support and care that's needed for people who are um victims of domestic violence or any kind of family violence trying to create a space where they can access everything that they need so whether it's you know um counselors maybe or psychiatrists or lawyers maybe or doctors or you know or even accommodation you know whatever they need whatever their needs are for us to be able to meet that so yeah and for me to be a part of all that even in it's in a really small way i think it's it really means a lot that's so cool to hear That's awesome. We discuss issues of diversity, equity, representation, inclusion. You know, it can take so many so many different angles, whether it's in the workplace or university or community in general. What I wanted to ask you is what do you think we could do better? Like what do you think in the space, something that you're personally maybe quite passionate about or just from your personal angle, think that, hey, if we did this few things, the world would be a better place? Um, I think it's it's a very recent thing for me, though. Um, you know, with the whole uh, Russia, Ukraine thing that's going on. And, you know, it's really sad. And I think for all of us, you know, we feel for the people who are suffering, the Ukrainians who are going through you know, who are living through the war right now. And, you know, it's it's very, very um, disheartening. But unfortunately, there is a but. And the but is that, you know, it's a lot of times when for us as people of color, uh, whether it's black communities or, you know, even um, the Middle Eastern community for that matter. I'm not Middle Eastern, but I've lived there. I've, I've known people who are from there and I've got a lot of friends and, you know, uh, people I really value are from these places. And I always feel like, all these wars have been happening in all of these places as well, right? They're going through all of this. Even right now, even as, you know, this um, war is going on, there are other wars that are also taking place. And, you know, you feel so much of, uh, what do you say, faith in the humanity of people when you see the support that's being given to Ukrainians. And that's amazing. But at the same time, I think... I wish that people would kind of give that same um, sympathy and that so much of heart for other people as well who are living through the same hard, um, sad situations. You're so right, Milofa. And if we look at countries like China with Uyghurs or Palestine or Afghanistan or Myanmar or Yemen or Ethiopia, Somalia, like all the major conflicts, what's happening there with the Uyghur population is absolutely terrifying. And yet not not at all the response that we see currently with Ukraine. Exactly, exactly what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely, you're right. And the thing is, for us, I think as people, you think, okay, what's the best thing you can do? You can just talk about it. That's the most you can do. You can share about it. And I feel like we keep trying to push that, like, okay, on social media, okay, look at this, like, you know, feel for them, like, you know, like see them as humans beyond you know, their religion or their skin color or whatever, you know, see beyond that and see that they're also human and this is what they're going through. And it's almost like you can feel the silence. 
right? And then suddenly you see all of this outpour of love and, you know, of concern and sympathy. And it's amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. I do not want to, you know, discredit that, you know, absolutely. But it's really, really sad to see that in contrast with, you know, the kind of reaction or the kind of response others are getting. So it's, yeah. 100%. 100%. And it's been a big thing of definitely on my social media with a lot of people who are of color or ethnic people saying you, you can't keep propagating this racist narratives during war. Yes, we are happy that you have empathy. Great. Keep, keep having it, but don't be selective, as you said, um, with how you spread it. Nilofa, thank you. I feel like I can talk to you for 40 more hours and ask you 40 million more questions. I I wanted to close off um, our space with some quick fire questions. Oh, but before, just before that, thank you so much for actually having me here and, you know, having this conversation with me. I think it's it feels teleportic in a way because it's just like, you know, re- releasing all of those, uh, what do you say, um, feelings and uh, things in my head and emotions, which are just sort of like, you know, you just you just end up feeling really heavy when you don't have, when you can't really have these conversations openly, you know. Mm, it feels healing yeah i was saying that to my partner that all this recording this podcast in the last three weeks have been like a healing personal healing journey in a way um okay well let's jump into quick fire we have four questions whatever comes to your mind first i would love to hear your favorite dish yeah i think i have i have kind of like a favorite one in each place so uh, if my yeah it's simpler if i just go with india and i think in india we have this thing called pani puri Oh my God, I love it. I think I crave for it. So I have my, you know, family, my cousins or my brother or someone who'd take me, you know, and, and they sell it on the street. So it's like a street food. So usually it's the first or second day when I'm in India. It's like, I have to go there, you know, I have to go and have it. Do you have any few recommendations in your year here of restaurants, either Indian or any like African cuisines maybe that you've tried here? Mm, yes, I actually recently tried Moroccan food. So it was, uh, I think it was called Casablanca, Casablanca. The restaurant was called Casablanca. So, yeah, so they had some, uh, they, they had uh, tagine. Tagine is a Moroccan dish, so it's slow-cooked meat. And, you know, you have different combinations with that. My favorite one back in Morocco is the one with prunes. So they have prunes which are glazed with honey and they kind of serve it with almonds and this oh amazing meat. And yeah, that's been, I think, one of my favorites. Okay, second question is, um, if you were the main character in a movie or a TV show, what would it be? <laughs> okay, so basically, I asked my husband this question. And what he said was that I would be Hermione from uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> um... <laughs> As an introvert, I think that's saying a lot about me. But I think for me personally, um, I think I would go with uh, Elizabeth from Pride and Prejudice. I loved her, you know, general, just her attitude, just who she was. It's just so badass. And I just really like that about her. Oh, I should reread and rewatch it. I haven't. Um, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, if you could propose one policy change to New Zealand government or to like New Zealand organizations, what would that policy be? I didn't know this about New Zealand until we moved, but I think this is something I learned after coming here that, you know, in order to have your parents here with you, you need to have a certain amount of, you know, um, yeah, a salary bracket, for example, you know, oh, okay, you have to earn so much to be able to bring your parents in here. And I think that 
speaking culturally speaking i think from our uh, asian cultures more so maybe and i think i could say that for a lot of the asian countries if not all that sense of responsibility to its parents and you know it's not so much that we're not independent of our families we're a lot more you know there's a lot of interdependency and in a good way you know okay they take care of us we take care of them kind of thing so for us i think um, as migrants it's it's really crucial to have to be able to you know it's we pride in being able to take care of our parents it's it's our pride right and i think yeah i think that's something i would suggest by way of policy i think for migrants or anyone to be able to you know actually take care of their parents and bring them here yeah yeah oh you're right there's so much cultural aspect to it as well you're right and last one is my favorite question is what makes you feel like a badass yeah i think it is the hijab i think it definitely is the headscarf because for me i think i look at it as you know a kind of especially in the current world i think it's a kind of a rebellion you're rebelling against boxes that people are trying to put you into you're rebelling against you know um people wanting to objectify women it's it's a rebellion in so many different ways and just saying this is who i am and you you'll have to accept it the way it is you know and that's for me i think i feel and the more you know when i see the resistance and when i see people you know having these prejudices and things like that the more i feel strongly about the hijab that yes I'm doing, I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing something right by standing up for this. And yeah, definitely that. <laughs> that was Nilofa. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, check out the 14 other incredible conversations in the series. Share, subscribe, send to someone who might benefit from either feeling seen or learning more about ethnic experiences in Aotearoa. These conversations are a collaboration of Belong Aotearoa, Planet FM, Storio, and Sport Waitakere. So you can find the links to those excellent organizations in the bio. Thank you to our funder, Auckland Council Regional Development Fund, and to New Zealand On Air. Mm-hmm.